G'day trail runners. Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience with Ashley Drew and Daniel Ferugia. Put your headphones on, put your shoes on, and let's go running. G'day trail runners. Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience. I am Daniel, your host, and I'm, of course, like always, or like most of the time, I'm joined by the sweaty Ashley Drew. How are you going, Ash? I'm good. I'm not sweaty at the moment. I must admit, I'm actually sitting here um, on a Dura disc with an ice pack because I got sunburnt today running. Um, silly, didn't put sunburn cream on my legs. The sun is still burning hot. The weather was rookie, cool, but the sun is still burning hot. Rookie error. Rookie error. Rookie error. <laughs> You would yeah, think after this many years I'd learn a lesson, wouldn't you? No, I know. I will, it happens to all of us at times. And we are joined today, Ashley, by all the way from the United Kingdom via Carrier Pigeon. No, via the, 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 the magic of the internet. We are joined by Andy Blow. Welcome, Andy. Hi, guys. Great, great to get an invite to come on your show. As well, a, thank, you, thank you for coming on, especially... Uh, Andy was just chatting off off air, and with all the craziness in the world, he is uh, like the rest of us, working from home. And uh, yes, we appreciate you um, moving stuff around. So at some point, actually, to be quite honest, you might hear kids from any of our families just knocking in, or my yes. wife might pop her head in and say, "Why haven't you said hello tonight yet?" So um, <laughs> yeah, all of those things could happen. Yeah, it's the world we live in. And, and look, this is a this one of the positives of what's going on at the moment in the world is this is a podcaster's uh, dream scenario. You know, lots of opportunities to record and lots of um, in the, the power of the internet. It's very good. But enough about that. Andy yeah. Blow, um, welcome. We'll uh, we'll just jump straight in, I suppose, and we want to find out who is Andy Blow. Well, from uh, I guess I'm in this context, apart from being a dad and a a businessman and all that I was uh I was a sort of moderately unsuccessful professional triathlete many years ago who suffered with lots and lots of problems when I raced any any endurance events in the heat I used to do okay in in cool conditions and I qualified for the Hawaii Ironman a couple of times and things like that but then whenever I went somewhere super hot my my races would would fall apart and I, I often end up in a medical tent or just in a, a sort of horrible, sweaty, cramping mess by the side of the road on the run in an Ironman. And and it was it was all that experience that led me to look into sweat and hydration and all that sort of stuff and learn learn some more about it. And actually ended up in in the company that I run now called Precision Hydration. Yeah, fantastic. And so you you are the founder of Precision Hydration. Am I correct? That's that's right. Yeah, I started it with a, a, a group of other guys. It was kind of, I guess, um, it sounds a bit, it's not egotistical, but it sounds like a, 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 a bit me, me, me to say it was my idea. But it was, it was, I guess, it was the my issues that led to the idea. And then I worked with a, a doctor, a doctor called Dr. Raj Jutley, um, and a, a team of a team of guys to kind of get the the concept off the ground. At first, we were we got into this area of um, something called sweat testing because when I was having problems with my, with my racing, Dr. Jutley was looking at me and said, he's, he's a friend of mine. He's actually a heart surgeon by day is his sort of day job. And he said to me, it looks like you're, you know, you have a, you have a huge sweat rate and looks like you're losing 
lots and lots of salt and that could be part of your your problem and i sort of i sort of said well you know why would that give me so many problems and and why don't you know why is this not happening to to everyone else around me and he said look different people sweat different amounts of salt and we should get yours tested because i used to end up i used to be one of those guys who ended races covered in salt you know you can see it on my on my kit and on my hat and and it would be dry on my skin and of course the guy with the white lines that's it exactly and and the thing is when you are young and you only look through everything from your own lens and perspective you just think whatever's happening to you is normal and you just kind of you know roll with it and it wasn't until this was raised with me that this might be actually you know there could be differences and I, I ended up getting a sweat test done which is where you take a sweat sample and measure the salt concentration of it and true true to his prediction um dr Dutley said you know your sweat sodium level your sweat salt level is super super high like within the normal range of what you might see in a group of any group of 100 people you test but right at the upper end and that combined with having a high sweat rate and doing loads of hours of training and race trying to race in the heat meant that i was getting pretty salt depleted at times and that was causing me a whole cascade of, of problems yeah so what, so, what um, sorry go now you now you please so when for you in particular when you were sweating that much were you getting dehydrated as well as losing all the salt or were you hydrating but not replacing the salt at that point in time I actually think I did a bit of both because people tend to think about hydration in as one dimensional. You know, you, you sweat, you sweat and you need to drink water or fluid to replace that. And that's that's hydration. But actually, there's this kind of balancing act between the level of salt and level of water, because all of the salt levels in your body and the blood in the tissues and things are, are finely calibrated. And if you replace like vastly more of one than the other, you end up out of kilter and I, I definitely in a lot of races was aware that I had a high sweat rate so my way of dealing with that was to drink a lot and I would drink lots and lots of water or lots and lots of dilute sports drinks and to the point where I was probably actually making my problems worse by not necessarily being dehydrated but being what's called hypernatremic which yeah. is where you where you dilute the salts down in your body by a combination of in my case losing a lot of salt but then only replacing with water and and hypernatremia you guys you know ultra runners you you will know i'm sure all, all about it as will a lot of people listening um because you'll hear of cases unfortunately in races and some sometimes it's rare but sometimes people even die of hypernatremia if they really get their their drinking wrong yeah, yeah. it's um absolutely and so you're um yeah it, i think I've, I've look this is not a i'm not quite this is fact it may be an urban myth but I was always—I've heard this so many times that there might be a certain level of truth to it. Um, yeah. That there's a—that more people have died from hyponatremia in endurance events than they have from uh, dehydration. Yeah. Does that does that sound accurate to you? I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you from a purely statistical point of view because I don't. I don't know. I know that the figures for sort of recorded deaths of hyponatremia are in the maybe like the teens, the twenties, mm-hmm. something like that in the last in the last 20, 30 years or so. So it's like one or two a year quite often from the, the reading that I've done. I think mm. deaths from dehydration are are pretty rare because the the physiology of that is 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 quite interesting you know if you to die from dehydration you have to be purely from dehydration that is you have to be incredibly dehydrated Um, yeah you know so to the point where 
Oh, I've got a little, sorry, I've got a little person coming. You're going to sit on my knee. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, to okay. die from, de- to die from dehydration, you've got, you've got to be savagely dehydrated. You know, some people, obviously people yeah. can die within 24 hours, but, but the level of thirst that that generates, you know, if you've ever been, we've all probably had a few too many beers one night, woke up the next morning incredibly thirsty. And, yes. um, and, and that feeling of thirst, you know, you, when you would have probably paid, 20 bucks for a can of coca-cola if someone had offered it to you is um is so powerful thirst is such a powerful drive that if you've got access to fluids you will drink before you die of dehydration and at most sporting events people do have lots and lots of um access to fluids or all the way around so it's generally not yeah it's generally not going to happen do you know what i mean so so i think there's a strong argument that that dehydration is not going to have killed many people in places where there's a water station every 5k or 10k you know um it's just not possible the, i mean the, it's still the, dangerous obviously but yeah it's exactly not, i'd yeah. say the flip side is do people get dehydrated during events to a, to a degree that impacts their performance negatively yeah absolutely um there's plenty of cases of that and also potentially there's cases where if you get especially dehydrated what will happen is it will negatively impact your um your sort of recovery and it might even have a knock-on effect with other other conditions and make you make you worse although the link between dehydration and heat stroke and heat stress is is not is not totally clear there is a, there is a, a level of clarity in the fact that obviously dehydration will will affect your ability to thermoregulate and your ability to keep you know, to sweat and to keep pace up when you're running so Dehydration is still a thing. It's still a thing which people need to be cautious of and, and mindful of avoiding. But the problem is, is when you go all out to avoid dehydration and drink way, way too much, you create this opposite problem of hyponatremia. And for years and years, the myth has been sold to people that dehydration is your biggest problem and just drink, drink, drink and drink. Mm. And, and I think that's that has potentially caused more problems than, than dehydration alone. So... Okay, we, I know we're we're launching right. We've launched right into this the science part of things a little. So here's the challenge: How does one find find that balance? And I suppose this is where how do I'm not. Even, this, I was going to say how does someone become more precise with their hydration? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think it it depends on it depends on your individual circumstances, but basically. Um, yeah, yeah, you can. Just a second. I've just got to give someone a little surfboard here. Um, yeah, could take that up to mummy. There you go. A good surfboard. Yeah. yeah. Up you go. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah, my my daughter's just for it's not very visual, is it? Podcasting, but my daughter's just come in and requested the surfboard, which is actually the ironing board. She wants to take <laughs> right. upstairs. So Excellent. Yeah. Three year old, the mind of a three year old. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, sorry, uh, being precise about your hydration. Basically, I think that uh, for, first of all, what's fair to say is that for most people who do, um, for a lot of people who are just doing short runs, infrequent training sessions, you know, not not having a huge sweat output and all the rest of it, it's very simple. You just you you listen to your body. You drink when you're thirsty. You predominantly drink water. And what will happen is, yes, you're going to sweat out some fluids. You're going to sweat out some electrolytes, but your body's pretty well geared up if you listen to it to to tell you 
when you need to drink, what you need to drink. And, and it's like anything with, with being a runner. You, you go from being a novice runner, you start running and you know nothing about your body in terms of how to pace. You don't know the difference between what a, a sore muscle is and a torn muscle, you know, in terms of pain and injury. Mm. But you learn all these things. You like become in tune with your body. You don't know the difference between like feeling a little bit low on energy and feeling really low on glycogen or, or bonking or something. But you learn all these things kind of the hard way and you you basically tune in. And I think if you're training small amounts, you know, not not sweating a ton, then just the, the simple advice, which a lot of people have been broadcasting the last few years is good, which is like drink to thirst. So drink when you're thirsty and and just, you know, listen to your cravings. Otherwise, if you're someone who gets a lot of cravings for salt on your food, that could indicate that you're you know, you're taking insufficient salt in. So pop a little bit on there. And that that in in the scheme of things should keep you balanced and topped up. I think, though, where it becomes a little bit more difficult is or a little bit more nuanced is for you know people like myself. When I was training a lot, I was doing 15 plus hours of training a week. A lot yeah. of it, you know, pretty hard, sweating quite a lot. I have a high sweat rate. I can easily sweat over two liters an hour, maybe even close to two and a half in hot conditions. Yeah, well. And I lose a ton of salt as well. So at that point, that's when I was having all these problems because I was not even though I was trying to, you know, I was a pretty decent athlete and I was listening to my body, but my, I was getting confused by my body's signals because I was I was drinking more and yet still feeling thirsty. And I realized after many years later, I was still feeling thirsty because what I should have been doing was taking a little bit more salt and a little bit less water to keep things a little bit more balanced because I was losing it at such a high rate. And that's where I think the the kind of the first step in becoming more precise is understanding these these things it's like okay well hydration is about salt and fluid balance and therefore you don't just want to think about either in in isolation and and my my journey then was obviously to get sweat tested and then to start to play around with different amounts of salt and fluid during longer and harder training sessions and races so that I could gradually narrow that that playing field down to to an amount that worked for me and to put some figures into context for that I think when I was when I was racing a a hot Ironman race I would quite often be taking somewhere between one and 1.5 grams of of sodium on the bike per hour which is a lot but it was it was an amount that seemed to work for me um, along with you know somewhere between seven seven hundred to a thousand milliliters of, of fluid but I iterated my way to that to that process and that went from me kind of having to walk a lot of the marathon in an Ironman and feeling like total crap to to actually being able to run a good time so for me the proof was in the was it was in the in the output Um, what what we've what we've done with precision hydration is we've got a couple of different systems we've got we do sweat testing now so you can have a physical sweat test with us where you can we can take a sweat sample and look at your your sodium loss and that's available in different places. We've got a couple of places in in Australia that do it now. There's um there is actually a guy in in Adelaide, um, yep. Jim Kay. There's a guy on the Gold Former Coast. Former guest of the podcast, yeah. Jim was. Jim that's Kay. right, Jim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so Jim is a great young British guy. He used to used to do a bit of um, freelance work for for us in the UK because he's actually from the same town where Precision Hydration is based, and he just. He just wrote wrote to us one day and said, "Hey, I live down the road. I'm a sports science student. Can I come and help out?" We said, "Sure." And yeah, so and Jim's now moved out to Oz and have it, you know, um, enjoying Perfect. life in the sunshine. So so Jim can be can be reached to do sweat testing. We've also got um, Phil Young, who is an ex um, 
Formula One physiotherapist who now works in he works predominantly his day job is in Aussie V8 supercars working with drivers there but he does sweat testing from his training center on the Gold Coast um, and we've also got another sweat testing center being set up with um, Shane Hanna in the outskirts of Sydney at the moment so we're slowly getting more places where people can go and have a sweat test and rather than sort of bore you with all the, any more details than that if anyone's interested they can always contact us through the website to get through precisionhydration.com to get info on that but the other thing that we do is we've got an online sweat test which you know when dr jutley initially started to interrogate my symptoms of, of you know losing a lot of salt and stuff he asked me a lot of questions and obviously observed the salt on my skin and clearly was quite astute in being able to understand that there was a very good chance i was losing a lot of salt so what what we did then when we started the company was we developed a questionnaire which has an algorithm and you can do this for free on our website and it basically helps you to start to understand are you likely to be someone who's got a low rate of, of sweat and, and sodium loss a medium rate a high rate or a very high rate and then we can give you a bit of a steer on what kind of strategy might work for you as a starting point right now wow very interesting um so sorry ash I, I'm, I'm just absorbing all that information. I apologise. Yeah, no, um, that's for one. Uh, my question is, how did you take in, like when you first started doing this and you were racing, you're taking in, you say, one and a half grams of salt. Um, uh, sodium, not salt, yeah. Sodium, yeah, sorry. Distinction, yeah. So yes. you were taking that. So how were you separating that into sodium? Uh, I basically took, I used some just some capsules. So I was just taking, you know, like... Um, I'm trying to remember the actual brand name of them now. I can't. So were you taking me, it as, as NaCl, or were you taking a combination? It was a bit of NaCl, and which is sodium chloride. So sodium chloride is 39% sodium and 61% yeah. uh, chloride. And then in the rest of the tablet, I think they use a little bit of sodium citrate and sodium carbonate. It, it honestly, I think there's a lot of talked about that sort of stuff. And my my opinion through doing a lot of testing, and this is not medical advice, but it's just my opinion through what I've done yeah. is, is that it doesn't matter too much where you get the sodium from, you know, NaCl, sodium bicarbonate, whatever. It's, it happens that sodium chloride has a very high percentage of sodium per unit volume so yeah that's what works for a lot of people it's also quite cheap we tend to use sodium a little bit of sodium chloride and sodium citrate in some of our tablet products but in the drinks that we make we tend to use more sodium citrate sodium carbonates because because it stops them taste it stops the strong ones tasting offensive and salty. Really, yeah yeah so you know that's why we use sodium citrate in our, our drink powders or whatever but but yeah i used to just because no strong sodium drinks were available this is going back 15 years or so when i was racing hard and and it was it was kind of basically you had very limited options so i, I even remember in one race in i think it was might have been switzerland or something like that i even had a couple of packets of salt you know that I'd taken from a restaurant yeah that i just smashed on the run um, yeah so and then, so, so yeah. we, you were taking those as a tablet, so they were a capsule, so yeah. it had like a free granule inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just washing because in the, my choice there was based on the fact that then I could really accurately manipulate the dose and start to build up a picture of what, what was working for me rather yeah. than sort of like, and I, and I would just grab water or my, my Ironman racing nutrition, I always kept very simple. It was It was kind of back in the day, I used to use the old sticky, I don't know if you remember the old power bars. Um, 
they're pretty chewy, nasty things, but just solid blocks of carbohydrate. I used to eat yeah, and then those. if they get cold, you can't eat them. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you have to be careful. <laughs> you're not racing somewhere too cold. Um, so I used to, I used to chew on those mostly, just because again, I knew how many carbs were in them, and you know, I knew how many I needed to take, and they were plain and digestible. And then yeah. I would take salt tablets and pick up bottles of water predominantly from the bike course feed stations, and then I would drink a combination of water and flat coca-cola on the run again with a few salt tablets and the odd energy gel and then Hmm. keeping it keeping it real plain and simple you know and uh, so a different question when the sodium citrate um is put into water does it become then sodium and citric acid uh good question i'd have to i'd have to consult with um i'd have to consult with someone who knows a bit more about the biochemistry of that for me but i know that basically obviously what happens is you can see a measurable impact on sodium um, absorption and sodium levels being kept up in the blood if you if you drink it in the form of sodium citrate as well as you can with sodium chloride so it appears to be you know extremely effective without it having to taste like seawater yeah yeah cool daniel Um, it's your turn now no i was just I'm just thinking about my my cramping scenarios, and I'm so yeah. I, when I first started marathon running and ultra running, probably my first half dozen races, I would, and in my training runs, I was hitting about 27, 28 kilometers. It didn't matter yeah. if it was an ultra or if it was a marathon, and I would just cramp, just cramps yeah. hit me hard. You know, that's when, especially if it was a bit warmer, and yeah. um. Then I did, I, I remember I went, I'd gone to the chemist and purchased, someone recommended, oh, I'll take some salt tablets. I never, and I didn't, didn't know how to dose properly. And the, the first time I tried doing it, it was a, remarkable. Like literally within a, a few minutes, I was like, oh, my legs, I, the cramps have gone. It's magic. Yeah. It's a, a magic pill. But um, I really didn't know what was going on, you know, in terms of what's going on inside my body. But I just knew that, I can run, you know, my legs aren't cramping as much and then, um, or at all. And, uh, so yeah. And then some guys would take heaps of them and I, I wasn't sure if it was, I don't think it's real healthy, but all that aside, I, um, just, so I'm reflecting on the effect. I don't cramp as much these days, um, yeah. as my, and I think I do a combination of, um, I, I eat more than I used to. I drink more than I used to. I drink, I do everything a bit more frequently throughout a race, yeah. you know? Um, and so, but I, I was just looking at a study recently and um, there was a study, oh, what year was it? Uh, 2013. There's probably plenty of studies that have been done, but the effect of the improvement of mouth rinsing in running yeah. performance. And um, so I'm sure you've heard about this. And so they did base, the basic premise of the study and the conclusion was two groups of runners and they had to run for an hour and a half. Um, and one group was drinking a certain mixture of, um, of carbohydrate with electrolytes. And the other was just mouth rinsing. And the other one was drinking a carb, just a carbohydrate mix, which was yeah. essentially just a placebo. Um, and yeah, there was a, there was a, the conclusion was mouth rinsing with a, with the carbohydrate electrolyte solution enhanced endurance running performance. Um, but it didn't matter what the dose was. So even yeah. not even swallowing the, the liquid, they're just mouthwashing and spitting out. And now 
I'm interested to know more about that. There was also, I read about a study in that famous book by Alex Hutchison, which you may be familiar with, um, Endure. Yeah, yeah. Endure, yeah, fantastic yeah. book, yeah. And they talked a bit about that study, but I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because it was a while ago now, but they, there was one group in the study that had a, uh, they were having a nasogastric tube while they were yeah. running on the treadmill, and the, the, so the fluid was going directly into their stomach and bypassing yeah. the mouth. And the other was just mouth rinsing or drinking through yeah. the mouth. And it was the one that was going into the stomach were not having the same performance. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, a few. It's, it's interesting stuff. I think basically what, what, that, what those studies aim to do is, is try to isolate the, the impact of, of, the, of the brain on performance because there's this theory about, you know, central governor and that, yes. that's what one of the, the names of the theory is anyway, which basically relates to the fact that in, in your brain, your brain's like a central monitoring system for the whole body and it's getting feedback of when you're getting tired, fatigued, when things are starting to break down and you're getting depleted of glycogen, salt, whatever, water. And, and therefore it, it sort of puts the brakes onto your performance a little bit early to stop you really running yourself into trouble. Yeah. And, and by tricking the brain a little bit. So by putting, carbohydrate electrolyte drink in the mouth and swishing it around and then but spitting it out you have got receptors in your mouth that are measuring the and they can taste the obviously they can assess the sugar content of that the electrolytes the fluids and go and it, and it kind of sends a bit of a preemptive message to your brain it goes hey hey guys you know reinforcements are on the way we can put the, the hammer down a little bit more and obviously you're kind of like tricking yourself into being able to push a little bit harder for a short amount of time Interesting. There's obviously, I think there's obviously a limit to how much and how long that improvement can go on because clearly you're still becoming depleted. And so if you don't actually drink and consume and keep your levels topped up to a certain degree, there becomes a point when your brain's going to realise that, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're not, you're tricking it. And obviously you'll slow down because there becomes a level of substrate depletion where you are just in trouble. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's one of the big theories around that. And I, and I buy into that fully because I think we're only beginning to understand the connect, the interconnection between brain, you know, muscles, body and everything. And the fact that you, you can't necessarily like that, that study showed if you just bypass the, if you just bypass the, 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 the mouth and the esophagus and the digestive tract and fire some water straight into the stomach maybe that's not as effective for performance as actually drinking that water because you bypass those other mechanisms yeah it's really fascinating um because i know ashley is i mean i'm a pretty heavy sweater and i know ashley's a very heavy sweater when he runs but we also live in very different climates so adelaide mm. is a very very hot and dry climate and through summer yeah so we get we get plenty of days well into the 40s um, degrees yeah. celsius but rarely is the humidity above 20%. Like if it gets to 20% humidity, everyone's like, oh, it's too humid. It's like a jungle. But yeah. whereas, <laughs> Ash, yeah, it's true. It's like going to go to my, You want to go to Miami? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's like pretty hundred. much where, yeah, I mean, you've been to Brisbane. That's, that's, that's what yeah. Brisbane's like. Yeah. So, so they, yeah, humidity they, Well, I charts. guess what I'm getting at is the interest, like, well, I still sweat here, obviously, because it's very hot. And so, but my sweat is evaporating instantly, you know. Yeah. Um, I go out in those hotter days and I can you step outside and it's like, you know, when you've opened up an oven that's been cooking yeah. and it's really hot, that feeling hits you and, and you, you can feel your 
your retina is just drying out on your eyes. You know, it's um, yeah, it's yeah. intense. So um, no, I think the, the big difference there, which you've already identified, is that speed of evaporation of sweat. Because in the hot, dry climate, the gradient between the moisture on your skin in terms of sweat and the actual ambient moisture is so there's such a big gradient that it evaporates so fast it takes it takes heat away really really effectively and therefore you cool down with a somewhat less of a loss of total body fluid because you're sweat it's basically your sweating is like doing its job to perfection whereas when you go yeah. to the heat and, hum- and humidity your body gets a bit freaked out because you you start sweating because your core body temperature rises so it goes right with the sweat and then the sweat starts pooling on the skin but like 50 percent of it just runs off and drips off which is nothing for cooling and yeah. then you end up in this situation where you actually just sweat significantly more for less effective cooling and i i actually experience this every single year in real stark contrast because in february i we work a lot in the usa with major league baseball um, teams and in spring training for them which is in the month of february half of the teams go to phoenix in arizona which sounds exactly like you know the kind of adelaide climate like 30 plus celsius super dry and and i and i take my running shoes in desert yeah, yeah, it's high desert. Yeah, I go for I go for long trail runs there. There's a place called Camelback Mountain that I love to go trail running up and all that. But I can do that and run pretty hard and like be in 35 degrees Celsius and be relatively comfortable. But yeah. then, like the very next week, normally I transfer over to like Fort Lauderdale and Florida, where the rest of the <laughs> spring training goes on. And yeah. it is just like I go for a 5k run around the streets of West Palm Beach or something like that. Melt. And I feel like death, you know, and I'm yeah. like 30 seconds a k slower and feel sluggish and I'm sweating and like God, it's just stinging in my eyes. It's horrid. And so I think there's yeah, it's the, that that kind of heat index effect, especially for someone who has a high sweat rate or a high, high salt loss makes a huge, huge difference. It's why for me, the particular challenge of of the Kona Ironman was so frustrating because it's just so bloody humid and hot. You know, I'd have much yeah. rather race somewhere that was the same temperature, but 20% humidity, as I'm sure most people would. Yeah. 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 That's, that's why uh, the jungle uh, marathon in the Amazon jungle is one of the toughest in the world. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That heat, the, the chance of overheating. And it's interesting what you were saying about the cramping thing as well, because cramping was a huge side effect for me and there's a really good blog which i'll um i'll send you a a link to for the show notes if you like which is on our website it's one of the most the the things that people read most when they come to our website is this um information we put together on cramping because cramping so such like a a hot button topic in sport and and loads of people Mm. have got really polarized opinions on it but and i'm very much a believer in the fact that there is a there is a type and a flavor of cramp if you like that can be either caused or made significantly worse by extreme electrolyte loss because I've, I've, I've lived through that so much. And I, I have to accept my own biases here because, you know, this is, this is something that's happened to me. But when I, when I wasn't taking enough salt in endurance races, I would routinely cramp up to the point at which it was like laughable to my, to my training group and my peers. You know, it was ridiculous how much cramp I would get. I would get full body cramps sometimes. And oh, then, jeez! Once I start, I mean, there's a, there's actually a video of me crossing the line at Ironman UK one year, which wasn't even a particularly hot year, 
and I, I literally got to the line and I'd had a reasonable race. I was like in the top 10, but struggling a bit the last few kilometers, got over the line and you can see on the video, like my whole body goes into cramp and I'm locked up and they actually just put me on a gurney thing and wheel me off oh. because I was, and, and then, but, but like an hour later when I've had some saline and I've had some salt, so I'm totally fine. Yeah. But and so do they, got does, are they giving you saline then intravenously? In, I, 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 I honestly would have to, I couldn't tell you reliably whether they did or not. There is a picture of me in the medical tent there on a bed and all that sort of stuff. But I have a feeling at that race, actually, what they gave me was more like broth and chicken soup and oh, things yeah. like that. Because yeah. they, it was pretty obvious I wasn't particularly dehydrated. The weather was pretty, you know, overcast and typical UK that day from what I remember. But they were giving me, because like a salty soup is obviously incredible. It has a really high sodium level. And that seemed yeah. to that seemed to be what I needed to kind of and it and it made me feel a hell of a lot better, you know, almost immediately, you know, within twenty minutes or so. That's remarkable. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, the cramping thing is really interesting. But I also totally agree with the people that say, well, not all cramping is caused by electrolyte loss, because clearly it's not. Because when you see a hundred meter sprinter pull up with a hamstring cramp or something like that, that's not that's probably not related to mm. to electrolyte loss. And when you see when I, I actually um rode i rode a bike in i got a new bike years ago in triathlon i was really um excited because my dad got got me um a, a custom-made bike frame you know from, uh, made in steel and it was it was it was a beautiful thing and the first race i rode it in this because i'd not tested it enough the seat post was actually slipping down the whole time because oh, the, no. it wasn't quite clamped up enough so it was yeah. so, you know you can imagine you start off at the right height and then by the end it's like one of those pictures of Mario Kart riding a bike or something. I'm like got my knees up by my ears and <laughs> pedaling along. And I got such cramps in my hip flexors and things. But that was definitely just because I was like asking the muscles to do something crazy. Some yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think there's always these different different sides to it. And, and often what happens is, you know, ironically, these things happen all at once because, you know, glycogen depletion can, can be a precipitating factor in cramp as well because it leads to a lot of fatigue. And what, what happens, you know, 30k into a long hot ultra well you're getting a bit glycogen depleted you're getting sodium depleted potentially you're getting fatigued if you've been running harder than you should have done because you started a bit quick like yeah. most of us do and then <laughs> you, you kind of end up in this situation where all right I'm, I'm, a, I'm cramping and really like why why is that well it's a good chance it could be a combination of those factors with with any one of them being the main factor if you see what i mean yeah yeah um have you been a cramper, Ashley? So, um, my first uh, ultra, uh, which was an 84K, I think I'd come in at about 37K or 38K, and I started to get hamstring cramping. And um, I didn't have any salt on me, but I got to the next aid station, and I literally poured a line of iodized salt yep. up my arm. Yeah, and then I I just licked it off over the next sort of ten to fifteen k's. I never had a cramping problem again after that, um, like for that race. And then after that, I started to become a lot more astute at making sure my sodium intake was appropriate for the amount of sweating I do. And yeah, I sweat quite a lot. And in my electrolyte drinks that are custom made for me. Um, I have the sodium level upped 
yeah. in those, and it, and it doesn't necessarily taste pleasant at all. No. But, but that's a great, but it that's works. A great example of one of those of one of those kind of like this is what we're trying to accelerate for people is exactly that trial and error experience that you've gone through to figure this out for yourself. You know, we're the the, the mission of precision hydration, if you like, is to shortcut that process for people and help them get get on the right track. You know, because yeah. I think one of you, one of you said earlier, you see some people smashing tons of salt tablets in races, and actually, there's a very good chance for some people that's completely unnecessary. Whereas yeah. on the flip side, for some people, they're being overly cautious and not taking any because they've read the whole thing about, well, you know, you don't need salt, you don't need sodium, and and they've gone the other way, and it's the wrong way for them. And and I think this is my biggest problem with the the messaging and the industry messaging that's out there these days about hydration and sodium replacement is that it's it's one size fits all it's like you're either you're either of the viewpoint that you don't need it and it's ridiculous and it's just you know people trying to sell you this concept and on the other side you've got people who who are adamant that it's like the be all and end all and you've got to take tons of it and and actually if you tell an athlete that one of these pills will help them go a bit faster most athletes are going to take six of them because that's how we are <laughs> as individuals, you know. Exactly, that's um, ridiculous. And, and, and so the, the entire messaging just needs to be scrapped, and it just needs to be like, you know what, we need to look at this case by case, which is exactly what we're trying to figure out how to do as a, as a business. Yeah, with the sweat testing and the like, and then, yeah, coming up with a plan. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Right, look, I, I totally agree. Every single person needs an individual solution um, that – Herd mentality works for some forms of medicine, but it definitely doesn't work if you want to be at your peak in racing. It will help yeah. you get a certain percentage, but if you want to really peak, everything starts to become individualized and customized. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you just, I think you just said the same thing, like personalized medicine. You know, that's the way that... that doctors and everyone are being you know gradually moving towards treating yeah. people because everything there's all these nuances and, and i would say with this sweat and dehydration thing what we've tried to do is uh, you know there's not a great need although everyone needs to be looked at as an individual what we're actually trying to do is figure out okay well there's probably not we don't need to make a custom drink for every single individual that's ridiculous it's not scalable for one thing but the, but aside from that it's not actually required what we're trying to do is is guide people as to whether if they were buying a t-shirt simply whether they're a small a medium a large or an extra large because i think if we can get someone in the right bracket for their hydration practices they will figure out the the subtleties of of then getting it totally dialed yeah um, yeah it, yeah, it's not it's not so much about like if you, to to continue that analogy it's not about making them a custom tailored suit here you know and off the peg size is going to do but we just need to we need to make sure that if you if you're actually a small you're not going to jump into an extra large or vice versa that's a really good point it's i think some people get really overwhelmed with things being fully personalized because it is so like when it comes to nutrition and and hydration and um I guess that makes me, I've been thinking a bit about nutrition while you're saying this. How does, and I partially know the answer, but I want, I'd like your input. Like how, what role does your, like your electrolytes and, and like take in, in, in the role with, with, with nutrition as well. And when I'm talking in like our longer events, so we're talking, getting sort of more into your ultra distance events. So obviously 
in in things like half marathons, maybe up to a marathon, you really don't need a great deal of um of nutrition. You know, yeah. your nutrition needs is a lot lower. Um, you could probably get away with a few, just a couple of gels in a, in a marathon if you're fairly quick, I think, um, or even for the slower runner. But when we're getting into 50 kilometers and getting to trail runs and 100 kilometers and beyond, how how does the interaction work? Is one when I get your idea? Yeah, so I mean, I think essentially we, to to keep it simple, the the fact of the matter is when you're when we like to break it down for people into three really simple things, it's like basically during an endurance event, a long endurance event, you're, you need three things fundamentally to keep you going. You're going to need some fluids, water, because of what you're sweating out. You're going to need some calories. Often we're, you know, I'm quite an advocate still, despite the, the debate on this around carbohydrates of it being largely mm. carbohydrate based. And you're going to need potentially some salt as well. And if you think of those as three different levers to pull, depending on your characteristics like what and the environment, so what your sweat rate's like, what your salt loss is like and how fast you're moving, you're going to need to pull on those three levers to a different magnitude. So for me, if it's hot and it's long, then the big priority is is salt and fluid with with a, a reasonable amount of carbohydrate. But I'm far more at risk of like falling off a cliff because of dehydration, hyponatremia than I am of calorie deficiency. Um, I seem to be able to get by on like the standard kind of circa 60 grams an hour of carb is 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 cool for me. I know that some people can boost it up to 90, 100 and do well mm-hmm. on that. But for me, I'm I'm pretty cool with 60 grams an hour or, or thereabouts. So but if it's a cold day, I'll still take around the 60 grams an hour of carbs, but yep. I'll take a lot less fluid and salt because I know my sweat rate is significantly down and and or i think this but it doesn't matter too much where those three things come from so if i'm eating salty foods and drinking water that's potentially as good a solution as anything else the only the only thing you'd say about that is it's sometimes hard especially on the fly to kind of quantify how much salt and sodium you're getting from different nutritional products because unless you pre-worked it out you're not going to be reading the labels on the go so no. That's that's why I tend to advise people to have like a preferred source of quantifiable calories, a preferred source of quantifiable salts and water or whatever drink you're going to you're going to roll with. And then across those three, you can kind of work out if you are taking gels, which have persistently got a lot of salt in them. You just wind back the salt from the other source. Um, You know, we we actually again, I'll send you a link, which I think will be useful for people to read on this, but I did something called the Otillo Swim Run World Championships last year, which is in Sweden. And it's a basically kind of an ultra marathon split up with lots of swims. And you do it through the archipelago um, outside Stockholm. So you run about, you run something like, it's like 65 Ks and you swim about 10 or 11 Ks throughout the day. It takes about, it took us about nine hours with the guy that I did it with. And we did a complete nutritional um, breakdown of everything we ate and drank through the day um, we, by running by. So we got a sports yeah. scientist, Abby, who works with us. And she basically weighed us before and after the event to calculate fluid loss. Um, she she did a really good inventory of all the gels and bars and things that we took with us and what we ate and drank along the route and then worked out our exact macronutrient and micronutrient intake, which is really fascinating. And it it kind of it speaks for itself in terms of the 
you know the the levels of replenishment that we were getting and what we needed because we had a pretty good race you know we finished in quite good shape um felt like we'd raced hard though and, and kind of done ourselves justice and so it was a really powerful example of on that and on that one we, we i would say because the water was cool there and the air temperature wasn't super high it may maybe topped out at 20 celsius during the day we were a bit more heavier on the on the calories than the fluids and salts rather than vice versa but if it had been 30 degrees i think we'd have seen a totally different story so yeah. i'll share that link with you to have a read because that might be absolutely and i'll put all these links that you mentioned i'll i'll stick i'll stick them in the show notes uh, of this yeah. episode so people can have a read because I, I we're all about education here and um i think we're all i mean i'm always learning and i think that's part of what i my clients like about me as a coach is i'm always learning and so yeah and the science behind some of this stuff is quite it's kind of complicated isn't it so um it can be hard to understand and I think some people get lost in the weeds a little bit. Definitely. With, definitely. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. So like if people, for people who are getting lost in the weeds, like what's a really simplistic, is there a simplistic way to really approach your um, salt or sodium intake? Is, or is it, do you have a... The, like the a, simplest way, and it is going to sound like, like a horrible plug, but it's not supposed to be, is, is basically do if you do our online sweat test, which is free, and it will take you about a minute, and it... Yeah. And it it basically then gives you some parameters and some framework to to work within. So it'll, it'll help you to estimate whether you're a heavy sweater with high sodium losses or a medium with low or whatever, and, and just give you that kind of bracket. And then what the report does is it gives you a bit of a ballpark of, okay, you want to play within these zones. You know, what's a yeah. low amount of fluid per hour? What's a high amount of fluid per hour? What's a low amount of salt per hour? What's a high amount of salt per hour? And then then it's just a case of like going out and tweaking it. And what what we've found is that um, I've I've had to scale up in the business in the last um, year or so in our customer service department. We have got like the most fantastic um, team of, of people running customer service now because out of a team of eleven people, four four are basically full time on that because we get so many questions from athletes about their nutrition hydration strategies and we we make it the the best effort we can to return all those emails within sort of 24 hours um and, and that you and if anyone's got questions they they can just email us at hello at precisionhydration.com and then talk to us about their nutrition hydration planning you know talk to us about experiences and we'll we'll happily exchange some emails with them and james phillips and the team who who look after all of that are you know really really getting quite good at, at helping athletes navigate these issues and, and sort of um, find out what works for them as individuals. Very good. Good plug. That's all right. <laughs> um, <laughs> well done. Now, I, I, I have a little case study for you, and I'm going to That's use right. Ashley, Ashley as an example. Um, so you may be familiar with these um, last man standing or last one standing races. Are you familiar with those that format? Yeah. 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 Is, so it actually, loop? is it round a loop where you just kind of literally keep going until everyone's had enough? Well, kind oh, of. That, that, so kind of. That that'd be more like Kieran racing. But um, uh, LOS is you do six point seven kilometers an hour every okay, hour, yeah. and yeah. you start on the hour. So yeah. if you come in and if you if you come in in thirty minutes, you've got a thirty minute rest. If you come yeah. in fifty six minutes, you've got a four minute rest. Gotcha. That's that's how they work. And they just and they, keep going until there's only one person left. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a and Ashley, you did one last year. Was it last year yes, now? Yeah. I and did Ashley, it's last year now. 
and I, I know years flying by. Um, <laughs> you and you um, and we've talked about this on the podcast a bit. So actually, you, you ran about 130 odd kilometres, didn't you? But you, I think a, little, you, a, a wee bit more, but yeah. Yeah, and how so many, how many hours were you going for then? Like twenty, twenty odd hours. I went for twenty-one hours. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, Ashley doesn't use excuses. That you're, you know, that's one of the things we like about him. He doesn't, you know, it's like cancer <laughs> schmancer. And um, <laughs> and and so um, no, it, we, I don't. I haven't. It was an interesting with, discussion with my oncologist when I said I was going to do it. That's for sure. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I just, yeah. Sorry, I know you. I know you're trying to like, ask, but I'm just really curious about this now. So, um, with with this, what was your pacing strategy? Were you how yes. quickly were you running those six point sevens? Or what? Okay, what so it, came, it it depended on what I was trying to achieve in the pits, as such. Yeah. Um. So I think that I was I was averaging generally around forty four minutes. Yeah. Um, but when I wanted to sleep, I would come in a little bit faster. And yeah. um, if I wanted to have, like change clothes and so on, I came in a little bit faster. Yeah, that's that was basically it. I didn't. I I think probably my slowest lap was like fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's lots of ways you can play it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh yeah, like like people were playing some interesting strategies. They'd they'd walk out and come in like on fifty nine minutes. And then they would run out again, and the next time they'd come in, you know, and give themselves almost like a much bigger break, or yeah. they'd um, yeah. There's there was some very interesting mm. play going on. And, and how did you place in it, Ashley? Oh, I was in the top. You top 20. ten? Top, uh, you I top. You were close to the top ten. Was yeah, I, top I was 10? Quite, oh, very close to it. I remember. I was yeah. looking at your results. And how how far did the how many hours did the top people? You know, what was the winning uh, 40, distance or hours? Forty four. Forty four yeah. hours. Yeah. That's Impressive. not uncommon. Yeah. And um uh, the world record sixty eight. Whoa. Yeah, and is it on a, a fairly are these things tend to be on like a flat loop, do they? Um I think More the elevation less. change was about twelve meters. Yeah. So it's pretty flat on that particular course, but there's other courses where the elevation change. One of the, I think the Blue Mountains one, it's huge. Like yeah. in in the like over a hundred meters of elevation change. Yeah. So you know Which it adds quickly up. adds up to doing a lot of vertical. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, the thing is, it's so, I and because it's a pretty controlled environment as a as far as being, you know, you can really take control of your nutrition and your hydration. And so I'm really curious as to how if someone like you, uh, Andy, would would approach a race like this with your hydration, for example. And obviously you're going to be running through the day and night and day yeah. and maybe and night again, you know, like do you – and see, my, like I, I've spent a lot of time – because I'd actually like to do one of these races soon when yeah. when the opportunity to run to race again comes up <laughs> – and, um, Sometime in the long term future, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it's just I I sort of thought, oh, would I run fast? Would I run slow? Would I eat during the laps? Would I drink during the laps? Or would I eat and drink on my rests? You know. Yeah. So, so, I, you... so I guess the things that I'd be thinking of because I've I've never done anything like that, but I have done some long races. The longest race I've ever done was about twenty hours nonstop, and that was. Yeah. Uh, 
that was actually a kayaking race. So that's called the Devizes to Westminster, where you paddle from Devizes in the West Country in the UK all the way along the canal and all the way down the River Thames to Westminster Bridge. And I did that with my brother in a K2 kayak. And what happens in that is you get you get supported. There's 77 portages where you have to get out, run the boat around a lock and then get back in. And your support oh crew, you, you usually have two support crews and they leapfrog each other for however long it takes you, you know, to, and they basically meet you at these places and you kind of eat on the move. And I think the things that I learned about really long distance nutrition in that was we, we started off with, a healthy amount of sort of standard, more like standard carbohydrate type sports nutrition and, and high carb snacks and stuff while we, in the early stages, because we figured that we would inevitably, even if you hold back, you inevitably go out relatively hard. There's a bit of adrenaline. You end up burning a lot of carbohydrate early on mm-hmm. because you, because it's there, because you do and you keep topped up. But, but we anticipated, um, as it turned out pretty correctly, that later on you, you start to crave more normal food because this isn't, you know, like a, I always thought, you know, an Ironman or whatever, nine hours, you can crack through that on sticky, sugary stuff largely. And you might get a bit sick of it, but it's not going to be the the end of the world. Whereas you go beyond like 10, 15 hours and that kind of thing. And I think that you need variety in the food. You probably need some more decent, solid food. And that's what I would eat in the, in the breaks between the runs but obviously you're going to have to you're definitely going to have to graze because you don't want to fill your stomach up and feel horribly bloated so we had lots of little things like one of the the genius ones we we had which was not my idea it was a tip from someone who'd done it in the past was boiled potatoes that were then little new potatoes boiled then roasted rolled in butter rolled in salt delicious they were like fabulous and we also had little um little bite-sized sausage rolls we had flapjack cakes you know like oat cakes with syrup um we had lots through through the night we found that the morale the morale boosting factor of having like hot sweet tea and hot coffee was fantastic yeah so we flipped onto a bit of that and and then what we also did was every time we every time we pushed off because i'd read the the same um, the same theory that you had actually about this carbohydrate mouth rinsing the fact that if you've got carbohydrate in your mouth it kind of sends a signal to your brain to feel better so every time we pushed off from one of those portages we put like a boiled sweet in our mouths just to suck on for five or ten minutes because that was actually quite nice just sort of comforting and you're getting a little bit more sugar and calories in so you know maybe you would have something like that on the runs just to you know keep keep your keep a little bit more calories going in and keep your keep your brain fed with fuel as well i think that's good strategy how i'd try and look at it yeah you should do yeah. one <laughs> you well, should do it maybe maybe i'll maybe maybe i'll come and crew one for you i don't know if i'm actually ready it's um yeah. yeah it's absolute madness we just recently interviewed one of the blokes who um he did really 43 well hours. He 43 second. hours yeah, yeah. Well, technically, there's no such thing as second place. There is just first loser because you get yeah. if you don't. There's only one winner. Every, there's only yeah. one finisher. Everyone else gets a D and F next to their name. Yeah. And so, so it's a, it's a. And but this guy, um, Cam Cam Munro, awesome guy, and he's actually qualified to now go in what is essentially the the Kona of of last man standing races, and it's over yeah. in. He got invited over to run 
um, in uh, in Tennessee, in the US. Um, this awesome. the, the the big backyard. What's it called? Big backyard ultra. It's by, and it's hosted by um, Lazarus Lake, who does uh, the bar- marathon. It like a Barclay type marathon. Game. Yeah. yeah, and if you win that, if you win that one, you actually get a, a, a ticket to um, to go to Barclay. So it's and and that so yeah, it's, it's it's a fascinating concept and it's something I it is I, yeah I, yeah I love the idea of it and so but so I've got plenty of time to work on it work on my fitness now and so but um we'll see we're well, running around yeah, well if gen, gen, genuine offer if you do want to you know if you do want to chat to myself or any of the team about those kind of hydration nutrition plans for that mm. I wouldn't we can't we certainly can't profess to be experts in that discipline but we can certainly lend a lend an opinion on some of the basics so yeah lovely yeah, just, follow up on that if you'd like if you'd like to yeah and i know you've worked with a um one of a, a pretty well-known trail runner at lucy bartholomew i see i saw on your website there you've worked a lot yes that's right yeah lucy's lucy's um she was she was started using precision hydration really early on in our sort of um, life cycle as a business actually she bumped into our so we have a guy called brad williams who's a, a pro triathlete in the u.s who who works for us in as um, our we call him the team captain. He kind of looks after all of our ambassador athletes. And I think Brad literally just bumped into Lucy like randomly in an airport somewhere and got yeah, chatting wow. with her while they were waiting for a flight. And then yeah, she was using the using the products and stuff. So um, yeah, we've we've been supporting Lucy for a number of years. Oh, fantastic! Cool. Yeah, no, she's a great ambassador for the sport, and she she's done really well over the years. And she's still quite young. Yeah, very young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so so Ash, what? Any more thoughts for um for Andy here? We haven't really heard much about your racing career, but um, we've talked a lot about the science. Andy, well, there's, uh, um, there's, 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 I was going to say there's not a lot. There's there's, there's there's there was no particular no particular highlights there. But um, <laughs> I I did I did race. I did what I learned. disagree. <laughs> <laughs> what what I what I learned from my racing career was the the one thing that I did do was I went I went at it for a period of time at 110 percent you know effort I threw myself into it and you know my my sort of ability level was was like d- decent national slash poor international level so I ran about in in running terms when I was a triathlete I ran about 68 minutes for a half marathon which was pretty quick for for a triathlete but obviously that's not. pretty quick for a triathlete. It's not anybody. quick for a runner, really, you know, but it's um, it, it's it was it was reasonable for that, and that allowed me to, you know, I had a podium at, at a half Ironman race in the UK and a few top tens in Ironman races, but I think what I took most of all from my athletic career when I look back now is that I was a bit young and stupid, like we we all are, and went like pushed myself way too hard, was not sympathetic enough on my body. I I ended up with knee, having knee surgery because I stupidly talked to a doctor into giving my cortisone shot in a, a tendon in my knee when I was having a problem which then led to a rupture and it was just you know, so I learned all of these kind of I guess load lessons the hard way which at the time were quite painful but now I look back on them and think well at least I can at least at least I know what it feels like to have gone really gone all in with something and that mm. that massively helped me when having had to go all in on growing and starting my own business and and that sort of thing, because there are times when, you know, you guys, you know, sounds like you're you're running businesses as well. And it it is like in, it is incredible, the parallels between that kind of mental endurance. And I'm, oh, I'm sure not absolutely. that I can comment from any 
personal standing but you know with ash and you know like dealing with the cancer diagnosis and living with that and that kind of thing the kind of i guess just resilience and fortitude and all those sort of good things that sport teaches us is is good for the rest of life I, absolutely I, I absolutely agree with you sport as a kid um especially if you you go full hog into it it teaches you a lot of very valuable lessons that you then draw on for the rest of your life um, and I, it's, I see it too. I, I was only speaking to someone today who really didn't start sport until they were an adult and are now winning ultras. Um, yeah. And yeah, like they just say, it just helps so much in the other aspects of their life. That's yeah, yeah. it does. Yeah, it definitely does. Mine's and at it. the moment, I think we're all obviously we're not making. You know, it's 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 kind of hard not to reference it, isn't it? In because we're in March. You know, we're recording this in March. 2020 when the coronavirus epidemic is, is or pandemic is is everywhere and I've I've just come back from a run because I'm recording this in the morning you guys are in the evening but I got up and jogged 5k this morning and it's just you come back and I've come back and I wake up a bit anxious at the moment and I come back from a 5k run just feeling a yeah. lot calmer and it's just so, oh yeah so good for that yes Ab- absolutely if there's if there's ever a solution it's I've said it a few times to probably on this podcast if you have a problem go for a run if you still have a problem at the end of the run your run wasn't long enough exactly yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. unless your problem unless your problems are calf strain <laughs> <laughs> mental <laughs> health <laughs> problems though they're fine <laughs> mental health yeah. problems yeah yeah no you're right no it's um it's same and well i you both have got one up on me because it's it's um getting dark outside and i actually haven't been for a run today and i am I mean, I'll go run in the dark. I, I do most of my runs in the dark. Um, I, um, yeah, so I'm going to get out there at some stage tonight in the, and do my solo run in the dark. Oh, and so, um, head torch on. Exactly. Oh, it'll be just a road run tonight, but um, even then. But, yeah, so it's, it, it's uh, the power of a run is, is, is good. And so, and like I say, and I think I've, yeah. we've covered... Sorry, go I think Ash. we've cut. We've cut. I was, what I was going to say. It's probably time to wrap it up. I think we've covered everything. Andy, can you please let us know where the customer one can follow you personally if you've got Instagram, Facebook, etc., yeah. and two, where they can look up your product, uh, especially doing that survey where they can do that in particular. I'm sure we'll chuck it yeah. in the show notes as well. But if you sure. could just verbally tell us, that'd be great. I can. Um, so precisionhydration.com is the website and our email address, which is the number one best way to contact the team is hello at precisionhydration.com. And that's always manned by a great bunch of human beings who will reply to your email. So don't worry about you know that disappearing off into the ether. We're on Instagram at precisionhydration. On Facebook, just search precisionhydration. We're also on Twitter as at the sweat experts. Um, my Instagram and those kind of things are probably not worth a follow because I don't really use them that much. Um, but but people are very welcome to get in touch with the company or me via the Hello app email address and and you know, let us know any questions and thoughts. In terms of your predominant audience, if they're in Australia, we're we're starting to do more and more in Oz. Even though we're a UK based company, we have um, distribution and warehousing in Australia now so people order products I just want to let them know that they can 
they can pay in Aussie dollars and they can have the, them shipped locally so they're not importing stuff and having it shipped from you know, across the way. Um, we've got increasing access to actual sweat testing, you know, sweat testing centres. Um, so Sydney, Adelaide, Gold Coast to, to start with. Um, and we're in pl- planning on expanding that. And then with, I think that we have set up a, a discount code for the website as well, which you I, might I do know, have. Daniel. I can um, I can share I, that to you right now, and um, I just have to peruse the emails that Sorry, I, I should was be more sent. prepared on that one. No, yeah. it's my fault too. I, I had the email open a minute ago, um, so we've got. Well, I've just jumped on Precision Hydration on Instagram because that's probably uh, where I put the most running related stuff, and uh, you've got five thousand one hundred and seventy five followers of which um, quite a few of them follow me too. Well, there you go. According yeah. to this. So, there you, go. you might know. So, do, you, do, you guys, do you guys know Sarah Crowley, the Aussie yeah. athlete who's based out of Brisbane? Yeah, yeah Sarah's, yeah, Sarah's Sarah, one of our athletes. I know Sarah very well. So the, Sarah's the photo- one of our athletes, yeah. Fantastic. Right, so um, the photographer who works with Sarah also works with me. Oh, with Dale, Dale Travis. Yeah. 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 Oh, great. Yeah, great bloke. Yeah, yeah, very good. He's doing a load of photos for us with Sarah as we, as we speak, almost. I think so. We'll have to. Um, I think we'll we'll undoubtedly be be back in Brisbane at some point. Ash, so it'd be great to hook up for a run if you're if you're around. Definitely, always up for that. That's a good, just good not, idea. Just not right now. I'm in total isolation at the moment. No, no, well, exactly. That, right. he, he, no, he, he can't even get into the country at this point. So no, exactly. Well, that's, that's a valid point. About. But um, yeah, next yeah, year I'm in a. I'm in a, I'm in my own little bubble. Yeah. So the discount code is Trail Runners Experience, all one word, and you do that at the checkout. So not the Trail Runners Experience, but Trail Runners Experience, capital letters, all one word, and apparently we get 15% off our first order if you That's do right. that. That's right. And yeah. yeah. And look, I've I've been using the products um, this past week, as I said to you earlier, and um. Like so far, so good. It tastes really good, and it's one of those things I, I want to. I think my longest run I've done was probably only a two and a half hour run. It wasn't particularly hot though, um, and so. But I'm, I think it's one of those things I need to keep fine tuning it and experimenting with the products. But if, at the moment, uh, it's not. It's yeah, I, I'm I'm enjoying it. So thank you very much awesome. for sending. Yeah, us no. Through. Could yeah. come, up, come back to us with any questions. I've got one question for you guys, just out of curiosity, sure. and, and that this is at the risk of me losing all credibility with Australian <laughs> people. But, but when we came to Australia a few years ago, my colleague Johnny, who's been who's been doing a lot of work with the the rail companies and the occupational health people that we work with to, to help them manage their heat stress, he was introduced to a, a drink called Han Super Crisp, which we don't have in the UK, and he was like, "This beer's great." And then he got he got some for me, and I was drinking. It. I said, "It's that's, I, I actually really liked it." And then everyone I've spoke to in Australia since thinks that we're sort of terrible humans for drinking this <laughs> drink. Is that is that true? Well, I'll I'll let you answer that one because I honestly wouldn't know. I I um I actually I don't I don't drink anymore. I haven't had a drink for a few years. However, in saying that, I have. A pretty good memory of what the Han Super Crisp tastes like, and I quite liked it, to be honest. Oh. And I, I um, I didn't think it was terrible. Uh, in this day and age, there's so everyone. It's all about craft beer, this and yeah. craft beer that, and that's not a craft beer, obviously. And so it's a simp- It was a simple beer, 
and um, it, I, I didn't mind it. And so, yeah. No, so I, I don't. You, you haven't lost any credibility with me. And no, um, that's all right. That's all right. Then I think there was a few last last time I spoke to someone in Australia. They I think they were going to never speak to me again. Basically, uh, look, told people, them I, I don't, everyone knows. People <laughs> become beer snobs. There's beer snobs, wine snobs, and um, look if you go to the checkout and, coffee, can, and coffee snobs, you can go. Oh, yeah. and, Go and buy some. Um, you know, you're on the take, aren't you, from the company, the 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 beer company, Hans Peter <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's who his next contract is. It's his real agenda. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, we didn't even get into like the benefits of rehydrating with um with alcohol because I know it's not good, generally speaking. <laughs> no, maybe Definitely not a rehydration point in the future. Yeah. No. Fantastic, Andy. I will. Um, we will uh, bid you farewell on the podcast here, and you can yeah. say farewell to the listeners. Yeah, and lovely to meet you guys, or virtually yeah. at least, and, and hopefully in person in the, in, in the next year or two. Absolutely. Good. We're looking forward to it, mate. Absolutely. Cheers. Have a good run. Have a good evening, and I'll uh, yeah catch you again. 